We are going to energize the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Seamus and Notch is a great idea. Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. Uh, I'm joined by my co-host, Conrad. Hello. And in this episode, we are joined by uh, Nev Fountain, who is a gangster for private eye and one of the uh, creators and writers of Dead Ringers. Welcome to the podcast, Nev. Hello. Hello. Did you say gangster for private eye? (laughs) Yes. That's pretty good. I like that. It's better than gangster. Gangster's (laughs) good. Uh, so, to begin with, uh, I'd like to ask, what do you think is so funny about politics? Funny? Mm. Oh my gosh. What's funny? Ah, uh, God. <laughs> we were talking about this uh, a couple of years back, and uh, my writing partner, Tom Jameson, said, I don't look forward to writing the next series of Dead Rings for the first time ever. And um, I say, I know exactly why you're frustrated, because uh, in the old days, you used to have vaguely competent politicians, and you try and chip away at them using jokes and satire. And uh, at the moment, you're, we are putting more thought into the what comes out of our characters' mouths than the actual people themselves. So by giving these characters jokes, you're actually making them look better than they are. By giving Trump syntax, you give him you give him competence. And it was pretty down because that was just before a general election. Theresa May looked like she was getting in in the landslide. And we were saying, here is a politician who does not deserve anything like that. And when she got her hung parliament, I mean, I laughed for a week. So that was a lot of fun because there was a sense of karma around and, and she fitted a, a weak persona rather than someone with a stupid majority. And I think we're on the cusp of something like that again with the calling of a general election. Is Boris going to get everything he doesn't deserve or is he going to get some kind of karma for what he's doing? So, um, yeah, it's, I, I think it, politics may be funny, but there's so much about it which isn't at the moment. Does um sort of the state of politics these days make it more difficult, do you think, to sort of try and find the humour and sort of try and do something that's not already being sort of said sort of with the sort of farcical nature of politics at the moment? Well, a lot of people say, um, oh, it must be so much fun for you to be um, writing now with Boris Johnson. And because uh, he's so funny. And I go, no, he's not. Yeah, I don't think I've ever found him funny. And this is the problem. Uh, he thinks he's funny. He's a bit like Colin Hunt from The Far Show. I have never found a line or a, or a word coming out of his mouth, which is remotely funny. So there is a lot of thing that's farcical. But uh, I think that the important thing with satire is to get to the underlying unpleasant, unpleasantness of the man. And, you know, we have a lot of politicians who are superficially of a comical persona, but aren't funny themselves. Donald Trump is funny, but he has no sense of humor in himself. Boris feels like he's meant to be funny, but he's not. He's only in that sniggering public school way that people are meant to find him funny. Uh, The same people who find Steve Bell funny, I suppose, on the left. Um, So farcical 
I suppose that there, there are ways to go with any situation which uh, which other people haven't gone. We are trying to get Boris as a, a nasty piece of work as well as a buffoon because he's increasingly not a buffoon. He's incompetent, but he's not a buffoon. Incompetent is the nasty side of it, the lazy, can't be bothered. But the same kind of – he's cut from the same cloth as David Davis and uh, – and, um, uh, William Fox, people who's they shrink their jobs to fit their lazy abilities. So you know what starts off as a, a job which is a prime minister, or with Donald Trump a president becomes a, a just a PR operation and an, an operation in just uh, dodging and weaving and and uh, coming up with stunts. It's not really. We don't really have a, a, a prime minister anymore. I don't think anyone feels they actually have a prime minister anymore. I don't think a lot of people feel they have um, actual just MPs anymore because we've just talked about Brexit for three years and not talked about schools or hospitals or trying to improve things or targets or anything like that. It's like a huge holiday for polemics and uh, people who just prefer to talk about those things rather than do anything. Do you think that um, because of the somewhat repetitive nature of politics at the moment, as you say, you know, we've just gone on about Brexit for however long, that it makes it difficult to sometimes think of original ways to make the current situation funny, because you're in fear of perhaps repeating yourself and repeating the jokes uh, that you've done two, maybe three years ago. Very much so. It's been Brexit and Trump for the past two, three years, and Every week, Ian pops his head around the door when we're writing in private eye and go, well, you know, what's this week? And we go, Brexit. Uh, yes, it's really hard. Um, I think with any large story, though, like a war or like with Brexit or, you know, an insane president, there are angles and there are certain parts of the story you can break down. I mean, which particular part of the shit show is above the water? Uh, today, which is it, which is visible this week, so you can just have to break it down because if you just think of it as one large lump, then there's not a lot to find funny over and over again. But there is a certain dark humour in the shenanigans at Westminster and the you no know, confidence votes that never were, and the people's votes that never were, and the uh, you know, and the and the and the manoeuvrings of the speaker and the manoeuvrings of Dominic Cummings. There's a certain amount of procedural humour, uh, but I say you just you're just pulling off chunks of a very large and unpleasant pile of crap, really. Um, how do you think, um, with you know, regards to the fact that it can be sometimes um, repetitive? How do you think that people react to changes in, you know, sort of like in this uh, repetition? Do you think that, like, for example, with the two general elections, there was a sense that, oh, we can move on to something else and we can move uh, in a different direction? And that perhaps hope of some sort of movement can then be uh, utilised in comedy, they sort of like perhaps sense of false hope? Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know if hope has any place in good satirical comedy. Um, 
I think hopes for other people. Um, there's a certain amount of humour in politicians being weak and venal. That's what's the that's where the humour is. And Brexit has rendered a lot of politicians to be the weakest and most venal. So in many ways, that makes our job a little easier. Um, I don't know. I think we're in a in a loop. Where we are in Groundhog Day. Um, I don't know. I I, I I cry out for change. <laughs> it would be good to it would be good to make a joke about something else, but we are trapped in this feedback loop, and both sides are uh, are trapped in it. Uh, the Tory party is constantly reinventing itself to try and deal with the own horrific um, um, situation of its own making. And the Labour Party is still wedded to this idea that Jeremy Corbyn's going to prove everyone wrong and win an election against all the facts and all, all, all the statistics. So I, I don't know. I think it's a very interesting thing about politics is because the widening of political debate has allowed politicians to to trim their sails to their their extremes because there's now a base a larger internet hub for their most fervent um supporters mm. that happens in America too, which is difficult because parties are meant to be mainstream they're meant to have lots of strands of opinion, especially in a two party system, which is what we've got and what America's got. So if if politicians just go over to their comfort zones on the right and the left, then nothing will change at all. We will get Rebecca Long Bailey to replace Jeremy Corbyn instead of someone vaguely competent and vaguely human and willing to to talk to the, the vast sways in the middle of this country. Mm. Boris Johnson will be replaced by some other ghastly gargoyle. Uh, because the, the the Conservative Party are uh, as a party are now just a bunch of fanatics who are got one foot in the Brexit Party, so there'll be no kind of um, Middle England, a one nation Conservative vote that will propel Dominic Grieve to be leader. It'll be another nutcase like uh, Liam Fox or or even worse Steve Baker or, or Jacob Rees Mogg. It, it's going to, I think it will start to crumble. I think we will eventually get proportional representation. Hmm. Because both the main parties will eventually become so unpleasant, so unpalatable politically uh, to the to the general the the electorate that someone will have to say we're going to have to have coalitions to get anything done at all. Uh, because every party, the four parties we have now, will all get twenty five percent of the vote, and no one will have any. There will be no winner take all. Mm. No winner take all. I mean the last. Majority, functioning majority um, parliament was was Blair Stroke Brown. I mean, I know Cameron won a slight majority, but he he basically destroyed uh, everything with the, with the with the referendum, and that was just two years of majority government. And that was it. All the other times we've had minority governments. I don't think. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I say I could be proved wrong, but I think I think both. Both main parties are crumbling uh, because uh, because their bases are dwindling and getting more extreme and alienating a lot of people in the middle. So I think proportional representation will have to happen. Hmm. 
Do you think that there's anything that you can't joke about in terms of po- po- political and current affairs? Or do you think that sort of anything can be made sort of light of if you do it in the right way? Or do you think that some things are just too dark or too off limits? No, I don't think anything is too off limits. It depends on how you take the mick out of it. You, There is always an angle, whether it's the media coverage of something appalling, such as the death of Diana. Uh, Private Eye did that. They, did, they took the nick out of the media still outraged a lot of people but they had a point uh, we went on air i think the morning after dr david kelly was found dead and we still did a sketch on it uh, we still did tony blair reacting to it because even though these stories are incredibly dark such as the 59 people found in the lorry dead there is still a political point to be made just like in grenfell just like in anything there is there is a, a, a political soup that you swim in and you can make points about the political soup that allows terrible things to happen, such as Grenfell, such as the lorry, such as such as people dying, such as the Kurds. I mean, it's a dreadful thing to happening, but it's 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 Trump's venality and his ignorance and his incompetence. And you should not stop uh, pointing out that just because what he's done has resulted in something incredibly horrible. Uh, do you think that it's sometimes difficult to make jokes about politicians or political positions that you might hold? Or do you think that, in a way, that allows you to be able to laugh and to joke about uh, other parts of politics that you don't agree with if you ha- are able to mock your own political beliefs? Uh, I think you just have, um, yeah, I think um, various people are paid to be impartial, just like journalists, they, they're eventually their opinions at the door, uh, you know, like the BBC. Yeah. And I'm sure they try to do that. I can only say that back in 97, I wrote the last sketch on Weekending, a John Major sketch, and just before the election and that morning of the election with utter euphoria i were, i walked into weekending and wrote the first sketch of the blair government which was critical of tony blair so you know even in the midst of that utter euphoria uh you have a duty to actually point out certain things that are negative certain things that are creeping in uh, problems with uh you know various factions what they're going to do what they're not going to do things they're overlooking you have a duty to that i don't worry about uh my own politics in that uh you you think about uh your um i think politics is is your heart and your convictions in a lot of ways your political opinions and your your satirical head is, is that is it's just that it's your head and you think about things. So, yes, I may support a political party. I may be sympathetic with the political party, but with my head, uh, what are they doing? Why are they doing that? It doesn't sound very sensible to me. It's very easy with any kind of political opinion to be uh, negative about all shades of politics these days because all shades of politics are awful. And so... Now, even if I can write about Tony Blair on the morning of that election in 1997, I can certainly write about 
Corbyn and Johnson because they are so richly deserving of, of you know, a few brickbats. Um, sort of coming on from that, um, there's sort of a perception, probably true, that sort of most sort of comedians and comedy is all is based on is all people on the left. Um, you've seen sort of a few people like Jeff Norcott sort of come about recently, but it's still mostly on the left. Do you think that's a problem, or do you think that that's always the way it's going to be? Um, well, a lot of political comedy and a lot of comedy comes through questioning uh, the status quo and comes from poking fun at the great and the good. And as the status quo and the great and the good have so long been of the right, then yes, it is a problem in a lot of ways. There's a problem when people of the left get what they want. Uh, we have a, it's quite enjoyable for Private Eye and Dead Ringers these days because we have a lot of people who have certain amounts of power that are not used to it. They're used to being, used to carping from the sidelines. You have the, the right in Trump's world who are so used to, um, you know, just criticizing you have you have your little englanders who have been moaning about the eu for 40 years and are now actually being forced to um you know say what they actually mean and think and what to be done and it is funny because they don't like it and you have the corbyn easters that are quite happily um been criticizing the center ground the blairites for so very long and when they are criticized for their own behaviors they are very very sensitive about it so it's about a transition of power. And um, when comedy should be about the powerless, certainly satirical comedy about the powerless, making fun of the powerful. I don't particularly care about it being unbalanced because tr striving for balance when you have a conservative government for the last nine years or in the previous stint, the last 18 years, um, I don't know what you're trying to prove. You're, I don't know why you're trying to strike a middle ground when when the political situation speaks to you in a certain kind of way. Uh, balance is for news stories. Uh, you know, trying to trying to tap the mood of the country. Um, I don't think you have to be uh, right down the middle of the line. I don't think you have to attack the right and the left, though it is very easy to attack both these days, are they because they are both appalling. But being in government means you have a certain responsibility. And, uh, you know, being in power in a political party like the left in Labour means you have a certain responsibility and your head is above the parapet and you should expect to get shot at. Being a Brexiteer and having getting your own way and it means you are criticised for it and, 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 and blustering about the will of the people and talking about traitors is just simply a weakness and an inadequacy on your part because you can't take discussion and you can't take mockery. That's what a politician used to be expected to take. You know, it used to be a badge of honour to get on spitting image. Um, now we have politicians that, that seem to have reveled in, in being out of the mainstream and are not comfortable in the mainstream. I'm talking about them all. I'm talking about Trump and I'm talking about Corbyn and I'm talking about vast ways of the Conservative Party who are very uncomfortable about being mocked. And, you know, you talk about shows being taken off the air. Trump does that. And uh, you talk about boycotting certain comedians and certain shows. It just shows a basic uh, personality defect, an inadequacy, an immaturity. 
to take on board the fact that you should be held up for your opinions just like everyone else. You know, you shouted about Thatcher for 20 years. You shouldn't expect people to shout about you now that you have a position to to change things in this in this country. And, you know, the Conservatives talk about being the party of the economy. You expect to be held account when you're gleefully trying to destroy 6% of the British economy. You should be held account for that because that's, that wasn't your position before. So, yeah, I, I think... Um, I don't think there's a particular problem with being a bit politically biased because it's not journalism. Uh, Private Eye is one of the um, best-selling current affairs publications in Britain. Do you think that the fact that there is a mixture of uh, serious reporting and uh, comedy appeals to people more than perhaps the slightly uh, more serious approach that certain other publications and entirely serious uh, publications like the Times or the Guardian or the Mirror or whatever take? Do you think that there's something that appeals to people more, that mix between comedy and informative reporting? I like to flatter myself that that is a factor, but I'm not sure really. I think an injection of comedy does make Private Eye what it is. And uh, I think it would be less of a magazine if there wasn't comedy in it to, to lighten against the journalism. But I think people turn to Private Eye because the publications you've mentioned, the Times, etc., have been bought and paid for by by vast, you know, um, uh, billionaires and squillionaires, media barons. Mm. And almost everything else is opinion. I mean, Private Eye is a, um, you know, we hate everyone. We are <laughs> everyone's house. Our journalism is not friendly to any particular uh, point of view or any particular individual. Uh, we get accused of being establishment types by the Corbynistas. We get accused of being Remainers by the Brexiteers. We get accused of all these, but we are pure. We are the only publication which is purely politically independent because we hate everyone. Uh, see the Times is even the, the Times, the Telegraph every newspaper and magazine you know, the New Statesman, the Listener every every magazine is is opinion is opinion and sometimes it's opinion dressed up as fact uh, the private eye journalism pages are not that they are, they are literally, they are just saying it is ironic actually now I'm going to think of it, that private eye was the least trusted name in journalism 40 years ago, 50 years ago. And it was always getting sued. But now you go to Private Eye to find out what did that article in the Times mean? Who put it there? What think tank uh, published that report? Who's paying for them? And uh, with, a, with a wonderful work done by about tax loopholes by Richard Brooks and the wonderful work being done right through the magazine the journalism is top-notch, and the journalism is not tainted. And there is a feeling that everything is tainted, everything. And in these days of the Internet, everything is an opinion. Everything is there. You know, you've got Squawk Box and Canary and Tyson, things like that on the left, and Breitbart on the right, and Guido Fawkes, that wretched artic, a wretched exa- um, example of British Breitbart. Uh, 
it's, I do like to, to to fondly think in my dotage that the comedy might have something to do with the success of Private Eye at the moment, but I'm not sure. But I do think it's an important part of the magazine, uh, rather than the, it's the uh, the reason for its success. Do you think that the general election coming up is a golden opportunity for things like Private Eye to sort of get, get sort of be seen by a new audience? God, I'm too tired to even think about it. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we've had, what, three general elections in the past eight years? It's just... Um, I think Private Eye has... It's Private Eye's uh, circulation is the highest it's ever been, and it's been the highest it's ever been for a very long time, and I think... Not simply the coming election, but all the elections and all the manoeuvrings and the referendum and the utter state of British politics has meant more and more people have gone to it because it's obvious that British politics is rotten. It's been more rotten now than it's been for a very long time. And, um, and everyone knows it and everyone can see it. No one can say it on, on these political programs because they're all got a stake in you know, in the in the bandwagon, just trundling along, but we all can see it. Uh, the left is rotten, the right is rotten. Uh, uh, the political situation in in this this country and in America is pretty wretched. That's uh, that's private eyes and dead ringers' great strength that we can capitalise on it. Dead ringers has never been more popular because of the mush. The, the the churn of news. Uh, we we used to do non-topical sketches. It's impossible to do now because the news is just churning and churning and throwing things out. We try to write a non-topical sketch and it just gets immediately bounced out of the show because they want politics, politics, politics. They want they want it explained to them. They want to know that someone is is seeing the same things they're seeing and think that it's insane. And that's the main thing. That's what Private Eye and Den Ringers, despite their differences, have in common. People go to them because they think, am I insane? Am I sitting here watching this on the television, reading this on the Internet? And this is crazy. Brexit is crazy. Donald Trump is crazy. These people saying things on the political program on the BBC about no deal Brexit being better than a, a bad deal Brexit. This is literal insanity. I have to go somewhere to find someone to tell me that I am not mad for thinking that. And I think, you know, radio satire and dead, I mean, particularly dead ringers, I would say that, but yeah, particularly dead ringers and private eye perform that function. It's like a lot of political humor. The truth of it goes, Oh yes, you're not insane. There are 20 people or 30 people in this audience or a hundred people in this audience and they're all laughing because they all see the same thing that what is happening in the wider world is bonkers. How much do you think politicians unintentionally contribute to the caricatures of themselves? Because I know that um, with uh, Dead Ringers, uh, with, for example, uh, Blair, there was the use of sort of like the the, the grin and the uh, sense that he was somewhat oily and the... Um, and with David Davis, the whole idea of him being this sort of uh, Brexit bulldog. Um, how much do you think you have to actually work to create the caricatures, or do you think that the politicians create them 
themselves? Uh, I think there is a has been a trend away from men in suits towards characters in inverted commas. Someone got a memo somewhere that you have to be a character. You know, let Boris be Boris, let Trump be Trump, let Mark Francois be a little pat twat. Um, yeah, everyone wants to, is trying to be the man of the people. Uh, and the people always seem to be the same kind of people, not the, the people that are sensible and, and, and go to work, but the, you know, the raving lunatics, the people, uh, the people they appeal to all seem to be the same type. Um, you know, aggressive nutcases, people who laugh at Mrs. Brown's boys. Um, <laughs> lowest common denominator characters. Uh, yeah, everything is false and everything is cultivated. Jake, Jacob Rees-Mogg is an artificial construct. He's thicker than me. He's only about a month older than me. And yet he wants to be this kind of um, Victorian gentleman. Um, but he is, is deep down just a nasty, nasty man with no class. Mark Francois pretends to be the nasty man with no class, but basically he's just a, you know, an ignorant coward. Like Trump, let Trump be Trump. You know, he wants to build this image of strength because he's so thin, yeah, but he's so thin-skinned that he is the biggest, weakest snowflake of them all. Uh, yeah, they try to create personas. And um, I don't know what they're trying for at the moment. I think they're just – the problem is politics is so unserious at the moment. We, we don't have discussions anymore about GDP or about this, that, you know, about, you know. Everything is suffused by this stupid argument, this ridiculous, reductive Alice in Wonderland argument. So we have to listen to these idiots talk about nothing and – as long as we carry on with this, it works for them because they don't have to say anything which requires research, intellectual rigour. I mean, we do have a parliament full of hacks, it seems to be, because we have Steve Baker, Jacob Rees-Mogg, and on the other hand, you know, utter Frankenstein creations like Richard Burgeon on the left and uh, Barry Gardner, these utter utter ridiculous characters who are promoted because of their loyalty to, to Jeremy and because of their loyalty to, to this, that and the other. One side their loyalty to Brexit, one side their loyalty to Jeremy towards a particular uh, unicorn. And uh, yeah, we are we are in the mire of this. It's going to take years to get out of this and actually go back to men in suits talking about the state of the country and how we get things better. Because we allow them to do it. We allow them. Mm. We we are allowing them to do this. The media is allowing them to do this. I mean, David Davis did absolutely nothing as Brexit secretary for two years, you know, and he's one of those, you know, I've met them so many times in this country, sort of sweaty middle management businessmen with a fast car who think they can talk their way around the world or, you know, you know, go to the right golf clubs and, and and use that as compensation for their idleness and ignorance. He did it for two years. He seemed to get away with it. He seems to be invited on shows and asked about Brexit. The man, the utter failure. And he's replaced by um, Dominic Raab, a man who was even worse. And yeah, he's in the cabinet because we, we reward these bullshitters at the moment. Um, 
it would be great to get back to a to a, a time when people who are just good at their jobs can get good at their get good at their jobs, and people who are not good at their jobs can just kind of leave and never come back. Uh, well, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. Thank you for being on, Nev. It's been great to speak to you. It's been fun. Uh, I, I would like to ask you one question, uh, one final question. What do you think would be the funniest outcome to this general election? Oh, easily. Uh, another hung parliament, probably. <laughs> or maybe exactly the same situation as we've got now. Or maybe even funny if the largest party was Labour and they have to form a coalition with someone else, that would be absolutely screamingly hilarious. I mean, the absolute ideal is for Boris Johnson to fail in everything he does from the start to the finish. That would be great. Maybe that would sort of end this this culture of blokish bullshitting. I mean, I don't hold out any hopes, but maybe that would, if the, if the failure was so complete from start to finish, it would be fantastic. Um you know, I, I despise Corbyn as much as I despise Boris, but there is a certain rich, there'll be a certain rich quality in actually having a minority Prime Minister Corbyn with Joe Swinson making demands and the SNP and the other people making demands of him and him having to give up on his Brexit dreams. Uh, it would be hilarious, 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 hilarious. Um, as I say, I laughed for a week when Theresa May got her hung up. Um but she seemed to see that, think that as a sign that she had to do Brexit even more. So I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I think that whatever happens it is certainly going to be used by you in a in a brilliantly funny way. Well, thank we'll you. We'll be able to do an election dead ringers. We're just currently working that out. We might be out on the day after uh, the election because we have three mm. coming up, and they were just going to be, um, you know non-topical-ish, but they dumped their election right in the middle of our run. <laughs> we are going to get up at five o'clock in the morning, like last time, and um, write an election special based on the results. Which should be well, fun. Well, I look forward to listening to it, and I think a lot of our listeners will look forward to listening to it as well. Thank you once again for uh, agreeing to do this and being on the podcast. Thank you for having me.